Hey, this is Karis Ryan and welcome to another episode of Teach Me in 20. This week we're learning what it's like to be vision impaired. We're speaking with Vice Chair of Blind Citizens WA, Simon Chong, and it's a bit of a longer episode, yes, but I really feel like you get to know Simon in the beginning of this chat and then we dive more into the nitty gritty aspects. It was awesome to chat to Simon, we had many laughs and... He openly shares stories from his life as well as situations he has to deal with being vision impaired. I took away from this chat that you have to have a lot of resilience and patience and that's just from dealing with other people. Vision impaired people have to rely on others a lot of the time. And let's face it, some people are just downright useless. So imagine you having to come across those types of people frequently and them impacting your life and the ease in which you can navigate a day or a situation. Hopefully this chat will also open up your eyes more and you can see the world differently. I know in preparing for this chat, I tried to put myself in Simon's shoes and really try and feel what it was like to not have my sight. And it really made me realise the things I do have and the things that you just take for granted. And one thing I didn't even think about that Simon mentions, he says making blind people more visible and... Some blind people don't use a cane, they don't use a guide dog. So just having a greater awareness for those people in our community and being able to assist where you can. If you do want to find out more or even volunteer, be sure to check out Blind Citizens WA at bcwa.org.au. And Simon's already a member of our Facebook group. So if you do have any questions, be sure to pop them in the comments. And if there's something I missed... We did try and get through as much as we could. If there's something I missed, pop it in the comment section there. Let's get to it. Teach me in 20. Teach me in 20. Simon Chong, welcome on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. What's a question you get asked all the time? You've spoken a bit in the past on radio. Yeah, um, especially as... uh a vision impaired person rather than a totally blind person and the majority of people who have a vision impaired have some sight and only a small percentage have no sight at all. The, one of the main questions is what can you see? And for me that is always a difficult question because it's a difficult concept to uh, portray because it's, it's not even easy sometimes for me to understand what it is that I can see because of the nature of my eye disease. It sort of changes within different... When someone comes into a, something or someone comes into what I call my field of vision, yep. then I can see it clearly. But if it's not in my field of vision, it just disappears. So luckily for me, uh, I don't have... Uh, blurry vision, I don't have spots or I don't have tunnel vision or anything like that. I just, it's either there or it's not there. Okay. Because someone told me this the other day about the difference, people have different varying levels of blindness. Can you explain that better to us? Yeah, sure. So the common term blindness in this sense that we'll be talking about is also called legally blind, and to the, to use old terminologies, legally blind is anyone from 0% to 10%. So when I was first diagnosed with my eye disease in um, about 1983, when I was about 18, it was measured at about 5% retained vision. So okay. that meant that 95% of my vision had gone. 
So that's what it means to be blind in the, in the technical sense. But as I was saying before, it could. some people I know can see light and that's all. Some people, um, depending on their eye disease, may see really clearly through what is called a tunnel and that is a common thing. And mine, for instance, I can see through the periphery, the outsides of my eye um, and it... So therefore, I'm lucky in that I can move around quite freely. I can see things quite uh, clearly um, close and far away. But with my eye condition, the peripheral eyesight that I still do have, and the main things that I can't see is things that require fine detail, focusing on smaller things or or, or recognising things from a distance. Like even the distance we are sitting now, the two metres away, I can't see your face. Um, Probably a good thing. Oh, no. no, no. (laughs) So the closer I get to something, the the more it comes into not only... It becomes real to me. Okay. Yeah. So you weren't born blind. You had vision... Yeah, the, up until 18. That's right, yeah. So I have an eye condition that um, is genetic. Okay. It affects the optic nerve. So in a sense, my eyes are okay. My, um, it's just the optic nerve that is decayed. A gene made the optic nerve decay. So the messages that I'm getting from my eye to my brain are being restricted in a sense. So um, mine's a hereditary disease, so my oldest cousins have the same disease. So I was familiar with the disease as a child and we thought I could possibly get it, but up until the age of about 16 when the doctor said, no, we don't know, I thought I wasn't going to get it uh, because other people in my extended family got the eye disease around about between the age of 12 and 14 and I got it just prior to my 18th birthday. Yeah. So were you able to prepare for it at all? Only to the point where when it happened, it wasn't a complete shock and a surprise. Um, it was still devastating and mm. it was still um, a major disruption and, and, and everything like that. But no, you couldn't really prepare for it. What's the first thing you missed? Probably driving and then your friendships and your relationships change and your independence gets limited and I have trouble uh, still to this day recognising people uh, because a lot of the way we recognise people is through facial recognition firstly and then other things as well so yeah recognising people from a distance and um being able to observe things from a casual distance and stuff like that. I still struggle psychologically with that sometimes because of my eyesight. Like I said earlier, I don't need to use a white cane for practical reasons. So if I go to a pub or a cafe or something by myself, I'm sitting there or whatever, no one else knows that I can't see. And if someone has given me visual clues, I, I miss out. Yeah. 
yeah, so those kind of things are, are still missed today. Do you think there needs to be more awareness in society for blind people and some things need to change? Uh, yeah, and that is a big part of what our the organisation you mentioned before, Blind Citizens Western Australia, is, is all about, is making, uh, excuse the pun, but making blind people more visual yeah. in, in the society and also, um, yeah, sure... A, blind person with a white cane or a guide dog, everyone knows what that's all about. But a large proportion of people who are vision impaired or have low eyes vision have, um, don't use a white cane or don't use a guide dog. So people don't recognise us. And when we tell people that if we're looking at something on a computer screen, it needs to be able to be read in, in large magnification or the computer needs to be able to read in um, a way that blind people use, which is convert the text to sound. Um, and some forms of producing documents online can't be reproduced by sound. So it's things like that that we try to educate the public about. And also in the wider community, in, in the infrastructure, trying to tell local councils and other people that... If you build this this way, it's easier for blind people to get around. So what would an example of that be? Well, I live in Fremantle in Western Australia and it's a cafe-orientated city. And we love the outdoor living here in Western Australia and it's Fremantle. But if you're going to have outside seating, have all the seating in either close to the building or close to the curb, one or the other consistency so we and you're walking along you know okay if I walk along the side of the building there'll be chairs and tables there if I walk alongside the curb there'll be no tables and chairs there okay but place like Fremantle let's put them wherever they feel is best other things are uncontrolled intersections a lot of people are unaware of what the bumpy bits on the footpath mean now they mean they're called tactile ground surface indicators and they help people who are using a white cane or using a guide dog or even someone who's vision impaired like myself because they're usually a different colour to the footpath to indicate the road is coming. It's a warning sign. Stop, look and listen and be aware that there's a road there. So little things that can be done with infrastructure, placement of furniture, placement of bollards and other things like that can either assist a blind person navigate freely independently or inhibit. Okay. So you don't use a cane or a guide dog? Uh, no, I don't. I sometimes use what's called an ID cane, and it is what it says it is. It's mainly to identify that I am vision impaired. So if I go somewhere, a busy shopping centre, for instance, or an airport or other places that I'm not familiar, I use the ID cane to tell other people that I'm vision impaired so that I can get the assistance I need without having to explain and people still not understanding. Has that happened? Oh, yeah, all the time. Oh, so they just question something you're doing and you have to explain to them? Well, it's if I walk up with a cane to a cafe and say, oh, can you please tell me some of the things on your menu, they'll go out of their way and tell you. If I say, without the cane, if I say, look, I can't see very well, I have bad eyesight, can you please tell me and what, what's on your menu? Depending on how busy it is or depending on how I, I am received, it 
can either go, what? What do you mean? Don't understand. Oh, the, yeah, the menu's up there. And they'll point to the menu. And you said, we've got heaps of stuff on the menu. What? And, and it's just all too hard. So yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, it can be tricky. So we were communicating via email. So have you found it hard to adopt or learn the different technologies as they've come, you um, know, come about? No, I've been lucky in that um, since my eyesight condition came about, I have been introduced to technologies as they have been adapting and, and um, improving and I've used different computers since that time. So, again, because of the fact that I can, I've got a little bit of sight, I have a software on my computer that will magnify and speak what is on the screen. So I'm getting the two forms of feedback there. And I'm also lucky that because I've always used computers, I'm very and very adaptable like that. So a lot of people with vision impairment who are blind and other people with disabilities are we're in the most fortunate time of our lives in a sense because the technologies available are so easy to use and it's so can really enhance independence and free us up. So, um, no, technology is a a great thing and one of the other things that we try to tell people when we meet people who are blind or vision impaired to try to take up as much technology as as they feel comfortable with and we try to teach each other about the different not only technologies, but the apps within the technologies that are really beneficial, like there's lots of GPS apps that you can use that are standard or blind, blindness-specific mm-hmm. help people navigate and, and, and things like that. So, What's the biggest challenge for a vision-impaired person? Personally, it's like a lot of people, it's finding uh, the right kind of employment that, that, that suits, it's finding um, the right kind of recreation um, and um, maintaining independence and and also being able to find social uh, interactions and so forth, especially if you're not working or if you are not in some formal training, it is really difficult to meet new people. But even when you are, my experiences at university, for instance, as I was saying before, uh, due to my vision impairment, I don't see people very clearly from a distance or even close up. And it's hard to get that kind of social feedback. And also due to the nature of the way I study, as I said, I have to listen to a computer. So that means I have to do that in an isolated environment. And when I was at university, we go to a special study room with the computer, so I'm not mixing with the general population of the university, um, and that that was harder for me. I found, yes, I think the and also one of the things we do at Blind Citizens Western Australia and some of our our friends do as well is that we support one another because whilst you and I might have very similar things in common, and we can talk. We might enjoy sport, we might enjoy listening to live music or whatever it might be. If you don't have a vision impairment, 
you can't relate to me on that level. So therefore, there is one little gap mm. in our relating ability. So, yeah, I think that sort of is the main difficulty. What do you do for fun and enjoyment? Like, can you go to the cinemas? Yeah, I, I can go to the cinema. I don't go very often. My main two loves is are um, AFL football and um, live music and recorded music. So until a few years ago, I was living in Melbourne and I'm a um, mad keen uh, Frio Dockers supporter. Ah, OK. We won't hold that against you. No, that's... <laughs> And originally I went uh, either by myself or with a friend uh, to football and then I decided to join uh, the membership and as part of that I became part of the cheer squad. Wow. So, So that was good and I liked that too because we got to sit at the same block of seating all the time at the same grounds. So I got really familiar where I was at, say at the MCG or wherever it was, and I could find my way to the to the seat. I could find my way to, around by myself. God, that's hard to navigate at the best of times. Those stadiums. That's right. <laughs> but if you go there enough, yeah. it, and it's like anything. Um, once it becomes familiar, like anywhere I go, once I've been there once or twice, and I know the lay layout of the place. Um, I'm usually fine. Yeah, so I've found in regards to doing things, most of the time the vision impairment is not the main limitation. The main limitation are other things in my life or attitude of myself or attitude of other people or just, you know, other things that aren't necessarily totally connected with being vision impaired. Yeah. So when you're at the footy game, are you, you've got the radio on? Yeah, I listen yeah. to the radio. I always take an old-fashioned transistor radio, pocket-sized one, and as a hint for people, don't take your digital radio to the football because it's five-second delay. I've even been at major football games at a pub or something like that and had to listen to the radio while I'm there because um, I have no clue what's going on because there's a big screen and I can't hear the commentary. So if I can't hear the football commentary, um, it may as well not even be there. Are you telling everyone to shut up then? Oh, you keep it down. (laughs) No, no, it's up to each individual to find ways around it. Oh, that's great. So how would you, how does going to a movie for you? Because you mentioned you have been a bit, but... Yeah, um, so for me, if I sit in the right position, say maybe four rows back or something like that, so pretty close to the front, I see the big movie screen like I see the real world. So I'm seeing possibly anywhere between 70 and 80% of the the vision. Mm -hmm. And there is another way around that for a lot of blind people are using at the moment um, called audio description. And audio description is either at the movies or live uh, theatre where, or in the case of the movies, they, you, have a, you have a recorded soundtrack that you listen to on headphones that describes all the action, all the scenery and all that, everything apart from the dialogue. So when on the movie, if someone is talking, there's no audio description, but they might say, oh, Bill's just got into his blue uh, car 
and it's driven off really fast or something like that. Wow, okay. Because I had a few listeners that had questions for you and one was, you know, if you're reading a book or, you know, I guess watching a movie, how are you able to immerse yourself sort of without knowing exactly or seeing, I guess, the movie itself? But that sort of, you know, is one way, I guess, if they're being, if they're describing it to you. Yeah, well, yeah. But a lot of my friends really enjoy the audio description and even use it for um, live theatre events. So in a live theatre event um, scenario, there will be someone at the back of the theatre talking into a little transmitter and uh, the blind person will be using uh, some headphones and the person will say, oh, John's just moved across the stage and picked up a sword and it looks like they're about to stab Jill with the sword. But in regards to reading... I listen to books, so um, I've always been a pretty keen reader and, yeah, I listen to books. What about travel? Do you travel much? Um, I haven't done much overseas travel, but I've travelled a lot in, within Australia and, yeah, travelling takes, uh, especially when you're going on your own, a lot of um, organising and planning and um, a lot of gumption um, I remember one trip I flew from Perth to Brisbane. Uh, it's about a five-hour trip. And then I was going to catch a bus down from Brisbane to Byron Bay. Oh, nice. It was very nice. Yeah. And um, that whole journey from the taxi leaving my house to go to Perth Airport, the whole way to get to Byron Bay, I was travelling on my own. Wow. So I hadn't done anything like that before, so I had to plan um, for someone to meet me at Perth Airport, help me find the gate, and then help me uh, find my seat once I was on the plane and that type of thing. And then when I got off at Brisbane, same deal. Take me from the plane to the carousel for the baggage, and then another airport person helped me show me where to go to pick up the, the train I was to go to... To, to the city and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it took some planning and forward thinking and also utilising the, red, the, the assistance that is readily available once you look into it. And, and all these systems have been put into place through a lot of advocacy that organisations like Blind Citizens Australia and Blind Citizens Western Australia and other international organisations have done to help educate people like at airports and, and even local bus station, bus um, operators and train operators in the metropolitan area and so forth about this is what can help a blind person and this is what will hamper or create barriers for a blind person. And, um, you know, sometimes like even simple things like you get on a, a local bus and you say, I want to go to go to Stock Road, um, can you please let me know when I'm there? And if they are on the ball and they remember you're there, they'll tell you, oh, your stop's coming up now, sir. Have a nice day. Thank you very much. Other times, you're just one of many passengers sitting on a bus. And if you've been there for a while, you go, am I at my stop yet? They go, oh, that was back there. So, oh, no. So, unfortunately, you do rely a lot on other people being on the ball as well. Mm. And that is another difficulty, especially someone like myself, is... It's awful having to rely on other people. I'm a um, proud man with a big ego. <laughs> um, so 
having to rely on other people is quite difficult and for all those reasons. So what does, you mentioned you went to Byron Bay, what does a holiday look like for you? So I enjoy experiences. So for me, it's more the experience of, of something, but I still like being by the beach or being in a forest. So even I went for a short walk in a bush sort of area yesterday and the sound of the wind going through the trees and the sound of the gentle water lapping in the river where I was yesterday is still really stimulating and um, pleasure-giving, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And, yeah, when you're walking through a wooded area or a forested area and then you come out into the sunlight and feeling that change of uh, temperatures and stuff. So travelling is the same for everybody. It's the the different experience um, that you can enjoy and appreciate wherever you are. Yeah. We, we mentioned before about meeting people. How do you remember them? So if you've met someone and then later on, are there any markers that you have for remembering people? Yeah, so it's usually helped by place. So if I meet someone at a particular place doing, say it's a, a music venue, and I'll know, okay, that was uh, Jill. I met her before at this same music venue kind of put two and two together yeah okay and Jill's short and she's got dark hair oh yeah I think that's Jill yeah and you know um but it makes it one of my personal difficulties is trying to get to that point where I meet someone is to explain to them that I'm vision impaired I can't recognize people very well blah 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 and to get them to introduce themselves to me so if someone that I know well comes up to me and says, hey, it's Jill, how are you? You know, blah, blah. So um, otherwise it's, yeah, someone, it's a bit of guesswork. You go on their voice, their um, physical size, like tall, short, whatever like that. So you recognise people through those ways, yeah. Yeah. What about your dreams? Someone wanted to ask, do you dream and... When you're dreaming, are they? Is it in pictures? That's a very common question, especially for someone who's totally blind. Now, because I'm not totally blind, and I did have sight as a, a young person, my dreams are still very uh, visual, and my dreams are, um, yeah, some some are very vivid. The more also a sense of um, feeling and uh, experience. So yeah, so for me, I'm lucky that. Um, my dreams are still very visual. I know that some of the totally blind friends that I've had over the years, especially those who were born blind and had no experience of sight, they tell me to that question that what they see in a dream is the way they experience the world. And that is difficult to describe when it's they physically see blackness, but they experience the world. When they experience the world, it's not blackness as we would imagine it because they're picking up on everything else sort of thing with the other senses and yeah like for me blackness has a has a foreboding feel to it but for them blackness is you know the physical blackness is is normal and doesn't have that foreboding feeling it's just the way things are i can't yeah so 
a few people that I know that have talked about this dreaming thing is that they may not see... Well, they see the, the same way in a dream as they do in real world. So it's the same, same thing. Do you feel like your other senses are now more heightened than when you had your vision? You become more aware of it, yeah, for sure. Like, so, um, as I was saying, walking through an area where there's lots of trees, I become very aware of the leaves rustling in the trees, the birds. I can hear sounds that other people, they can physically hear them but don't know Mm -hmm. there. Yeah, you, like, if I'm crossing the road, I have to rely on my hearing more than my sight because my hearing is still 100% and my sight is not. So, um, yeah, you, you, you do become more aware of things. And, yeah, unfortunately, my sense of touch was never good enough to learn uh, Braille, but in other ways it is. What about, uh, so vision-impaired people, do they usually date other vision-impaired people? Oh, that's, a, that's a common question as well. Um, <laughs> Some, I don't want to pry into your personal life. I'm just asking in general. <laughs> um, yeah, some people choose to. Some yeah. people do because that's the social circle that they mix in. Yeah. The one time where I was um, dating someone who was had low vision, it was really great because we did have that mutual understanding of the of the situation and didn't have any unrealistic expectations on each other because of the limitations to our eyesight. So we, we already had that there. But no, it's it's all a matter of some people do actively choose to um, have relationships with other people who are blind. Personally, I just will... I'm free and easy. I'll go with whoever will have me. Yeah. Are, are blind people still judgy? Yes. Sh- or shallow? Like, yeah. how are you judging people? Is it on their voice? If they sound terrible, you're like, oh, next. Or <laughs> how are you judging someone? Um, that, yeah, that's... Um, yeah, a lot... I, I judge people on everything, like everyone else. So if um, um, looking... Like, so with the sight that I have, I, I, I size someone up and say, yeah, that person looks attractive or doesn't look attractive. And, yeah, a lot of it is more than the physical appearance for me. So it's, it's uh, a, you know, to use that vague term, it's a vibe. Yeah. It's, it's an attitude or it's the sound of their voice. But I know some to- so totally blind people, if they are going somewhere and they're trying to pick up or whatever... Yeah, they get, they get their friend to say, is that girl good looking? <laughs> say, yeah, is course. it worth my time? <laughs> That's right. Of course, we're all, we're all vain and egotistical people when, when it comes down to it. So, yeah, of course, we still want to be with... Attract, some people don't care about it. Yeah. But most people do. It's just the way we are. With couples, well, with someone, a vision impaired person who has a child, how does that go? Just in terms of minding them, or even if you've babysat before, how does that go? I've looked after children in the past, and I've actually worked as someone who's looked after children. It can be difficult. If you've got a cheeky child who figures out that you can't see them, they will try to do things that they're not supposed to do or whatnot. Um, But it's, again, relying on your instinct and you have to be a lot more vigilant. So if I'm taking a child to a park or something like that, I have to actually be 
the way I do it, I, I'm in arm's length for that child. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they're an older child, you don't have to literally be at arm's length, but I make sure I know where that child is all the time and what they're doing and, and be a bit more overprotective than... I can't just casually sit on the, on the bench seat and watch them from a distance. And from friends of mine who have had children being blind or vision impaired, it's the same thing. You, you're, if you're a parent, you know how to look after your kid. It's just you do it instinctively some, or you learn tricks from other people or like a lot of things that we do as a blind person, you have to work harder at it and you have to put in... Everything takes longer and you have to concentrate harder. Yeah. So looking after a kid, you have to concentrate harder. That's all. One person asked as well on our group, how do you tr- learn to trust what you can't see? Yeah, just have to. It is a lot to do with trust. Even simple things like I was saying before, you know, yeah, I have to trust what other people are telling me. Mm. Um, I have to trust my instincts sometimes and... Yeah, it, it is difficult and it, that's another area that can cause anxiety, you know. Um, yeah, trust is a, is, a, is a difficult one. Like, that's a, that's a good question. I've never really thought about that before, about trusting what you can't see. It, it's like what totally blind people have told me about. If they can't touch it, they don't know it exists, but you can't touch everything. Like, you can't touch the the light bulb in the ceiling or the, the tree. So it's again, it's a matter of relying on other people and trusting your own knowledge and trusting the knowledge of other people. Yeah, I, I took it as, like, especially, you know, if I'm walking along and I there's a dark corridor, or, you know, a dodgy street or, you know, there's a gang there or, you know, a group of people where I'm like, oh, I'm just going to steer clear of them or they look a bit derelict. So I can sort of anticipating situations. Yeah, so I think I, that was one thing I felt would be a real challenge. It, it can be. It can be a challenge. A lot of blind people will tell you when they're just walking their normal route from A to B, it's really, even if they're really familiar with it, it can be really tiring because you have to concentrate. Mm. You have to concentrate not only on what you're doing and where you're going, but you do like things that you're saying. You have to stay alert in case something unpredictable happens and, and stuff like that. For someone who's just become newly blind, what advice would you give them? Two main things. Firstly, it's okay to feel really angry about it it's okay to feel really sad about it and it's okay to feel really confused by it and then on the flip side to let people know that it's devastating if you've got something that's changed your life that dramatically but it's not the end of the world very few people have died from blindness It's not lessening the... Like, everyone I know that has a vision impairment will tell you that there are many things that we do in everyday life that is just annoying. If I could see I could do such and such really easily, really quickly, and it wouldn't stress me out. So what I try to tell people when they have newly become vision impaired is, yeah, relax about it as much as possible. Try to learn from other people who have been in a similar position and just take your time with it and be gentle on yourself because it is very difficult at times. 
and I just wanted to ask also, just get more info on the BCWA. If people don't know much about that, tell us how that, you know, what that organisation does. Okay, so Blind Citizens Western Australia is an organisation that started uh, many years ago to support blind people, one another. We support one another. So it's what is known in technical terms as a peer-led support group. So it's blind people supporting other blind people. We might give some advice, information um, to certain people when they ring up or want it. um, We uh, can advise governments or local councils on ways to assist us or or think tell people what might be limiting creating barriers for us and also um, we put in submissions to governments and other places to say that this is beneficial for blind people and this is not Mm-hmm. Things like that, yeah. Simon, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for teaching and just raising awareness and giving us more of an insight into the life of a vision-impaired person. I'm sure people have taken so much away from today's chat. Thank you. It's been great fun. Thank you. Appreciate it. See you guys. It'll only cost you 20 minutes. Thanks for listening and I hope you really enjoyed that chat. If you did, make sure you rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every review you make helps people find the Teach Me In 20 podcast. Next week, we're chatting with Sean Dustin. He has previously been an inmate in jail and he also has recovered from a drug addiction. So next week, we'll be hearing from him and how he's overcome that as well as what prison life is really like. We'll see you next week. Teach me in 20. Teach me in 20.